Good morning or afternoon, wherever you are, everybody. Thank you so much again. You've all become part of our Marian family, and I'm Father Chris Alar to bring to you another version or episode of Explaining the Faith, believe it or not, our 29th consecutive Saturday. And today we're going to be talking about understanding the Trinity. And um, like I said, this has become an, a catechism program. I recognize so many of you uh, now on the uh, comments and on the, uh, the webpage. So thank you so much. Uh, we're becoming a big family, and this is awesome. And so with our Marian helpers and all of you who've been joining us on these Saturdays, we're going to keep going, God willing. And I have something exciting to announce next Saturday praise be God. I haven't seen my parents in um, over a year. And what we're going to do next Saturday, we're going to do one of my favorite talks. We're going to do it is on the Holy Spirit. But Brother Mark and I are going to pre-record it before I go home. And then from Michigan, I'm going to join you live. So we're going to have the same broadcast next Saturday at 11 a.m., but I'm going to be logged in under my own name, Chris Alar, and I will answer any of your questions, engage in the conversations with you as we are watching the broadcast of my talk on the Holy Spirit. So it'll just be like it's live even better because I'll be with you engaged in that. And who knows, this might end up being something we do in the future if it's something even better. So please join us live in the sense that you can ask questions. We'll have our chat room going and we'll be watching the video on the Holy Spirit and I'll be with you answering your questions and talking with you. So that's next Saturday at 11 a.m. because I'll be in Michigan. So God bless all of you for joining us. Let us begin with a prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Most Holy Trinity, we just signed ourselves in the name of you showing that we are branded and that we belong to you. Our souls are marked as being yours for now and for all eternity. And we ask and beg that you accept these souls and that you allow us and our loved ones eternal life with you. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're continuing this series as Brother Mark will, I think we have a slide called Explaining the Faith Series. I've been putting this up, you know, regularly. If you'd like my first 13 talks, they're on the Explaining the Faith DVD at shopmercy.org, or you can call 1-800-462-7426, or by live streaming at thedivinemercy.org slash explaining the faith. So God bless all of you. And let's get started with this awesome topic is the Trinity. And we can't get more important. Now, you may think, we may all think, that the central mystery of our faith is the Eucharist or even the resurrection. Believe it or not, it isn't. Whoa, Father, what are you saying? It's the Trinity, the mystery of God in himself. Three persons, one God is the central mystery. How do we know that? Let's go right to the catechism Let's go to our next slide. The mystery of the most holy trinity is the central mystery of Christian faith and life. It is the mystery of God in himself. 
It is therefore the source of all the other mysteries of faith, the light that enlightens them, Catechism 234, and that even means the Eucharist. Whoa. Father, yes, this is our faith. The central mystery is the Trinity. It's the most fundamental things. We just did it. We made the sign of the cross. When we are baptized, the very first thing of our lives in the faith we are, done, we are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this is it. <clears throat> this is the Trinity. So these both tell us that it's not just about the cross. Of course, the cross is absolutely essential. But it's not just about the cross. Because the cross was just that first, excuse me, second person of the Trinity. And I don't mean the word just, meaning limited. I mean powerful but the holy spirit and the father who did not go to the cross incarnate still are just as important and we'll talk about this all right the trinity who god is in and of himself this is the central mystery you know the cross is the mystery of what god has done for us But the Trinity is the mystery of who God is. So the cross is what God did. The Trinity is who God is. This is one of the most important talks because this is the foundation of our entire faith. So I hope you can stay with us today. You know, think of a doctor who has a family, who's a father, a husband, and has a family. Doctor is what he does. He heals. But Father is who he is. So God, in the same way, God is Holy Trinity. It is who he is, the Holy Trinity. He is love itself. Love not as a verb to love someone, but the very essence of love itself, the noun. All right, now, Let's look at some of the understandings of the Trinity. All right. We know God is Trinity through revelation. Let's look at our next slide. Some of you know this. Tri means three. Unity means one. So Trinity comes from triunity. All right. Some others have explained it. I think this one's relatively accurate. Infinity plus infinity plus infinity actually equals infinity. So this, in one sense, is a way to explain the Trinity. All three persons are uncreated. This is why we're different from Islam or Judaism and all other religions. Their monotheism is one God, one person. But as we'll explain later, if God is love, which it says in the Bible God is love, then that can't be true. I'm going to prove to you today that God has to be a trinity and be able to answer, you can answer when loving people like Jehovah Witnesses or uh, uh, Muslims challenge you on that. So this is what we're going to talk to you about today. All right. I love this next diagram. Let's put it up on the screen and hold it for a little bit. For us Catholics, God is three distinct persons, but the same nature same substance, they share the same being. Let's look at this. Okay. 
And the very center of that diagram is God. Let's work our way from the center out. Who is God? God is the Father, upper left. God is the Son, upper right. God is the Holy Spirit, down at the bottom. But God is not, or I should say, the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not God the Father. So in this, we have one God, one nature, one being, one substance, consubstantial. And that is who God is, or excuse me, that is what God is. But in his person, that is who he is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right. So the bottom line is the nature is what one is, and that nature is God. What is this entity? God. That's his nature. But a person is who one is. So who God is is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, to equate that, what am I? Well, some people might fill in the blank adjectives there. But what am I? I'm a human being. That's my nature. Who am I? I'm Father Chris, a particular person. So this is very important. Now, God, what are you? God is divine. This is his human nature, or excuse me, this is his divine nature. That is what God is. He is divine. But God, who are you? God would say, I'm Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right. Now, take a look at our next slide because this is the picture that we have right here at the shrine. I love this picture. This is three persons in one God, meaning a communion or a family. So there we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is three persons, meaning God is communion or family, all right? Now, we always say God is family, but he's not like us. We are like him. Therefore, our next slide, we do not live to glorify our families. Our families live to glorify God. Please, as much as you love your children, do not fall into child worship. They are not God. We are not God. God is God. And so we have to imitate and worship him, right? Very important. Discipline is not necessarily a bad thing, all right? Done with love. All right, so God is not like your family. Your family is like God. So your family has attributes just like God does, fatherhood, sonship, love, just like God, and we'll talk about that more later. But a person in the Trinity is not the same as a person in this world. They don't have physical arms and legs and eyes and ears like we do. Obviously, this is clear. A person in the Trinity is simply a relation of one to another, whereas we are completely separate physically. They are not 
in one sense. They are distinct, but not separate like we are. I'm Father Chris, he is Brother Mark. We're completely separate. In God, it's different. We are physically separate, and God is not, because he's not physical like we are. Now, I wanna show this is very interesting, because <clears throat> a person in the Trinity is in relation, as I said, but whereas we are separate. Now, Fulton Sheen, let's look at the next slide. Bishop Fulton Sheen, these are what we call Sheen gems, right? Okay, now he said, this was interesting. See if you can stay with me here. This is where we get a little theology. He said, there is a road that goes between, from, I should say, there is a road that goes from Detroit to Chicago. Now, if you look on the map, that's I-94. Now, he said, there is a road that goes from Detroit to Chicago. Then he says, there is a road that goes from Chicago to Detroit. It is the same road but a different road under different relationship. So it's a different road in a, the relation if you're going from Detroit to Chicago versus from Chicago to Detroit. One is going east, the other is going west, but they're the same road. They're distinct, but the same. This is very interesting. So out of the one thing, he said, you get multiples. Now, I don't want to offend any Fulton Sheen lovers. I'm one of them, but he was actually wrong. And I learned this in seminary. He equated the Trinity, and in some ways you can, let's look at our next slide, to water. And he said, it's like the states of matter. Water is H2O. It is one nature called water, but there are different relationships within it. You can have a solid, that would be ice. You could have a liquid, that would be the lake or the water you drink, or a gas, the steam. He also talked about an egg that has a shell, a yolk in the white. He talked about looking at it as one times one times one equals one. But surprisingly, even these examples fail. We can't explain the Trinity, but I think those are good examples to get us started. But watch this amazing little video that I found that I couldn't believe answers every one of those things we just talked about regarding the Trinity. So let's watch this video. It's only two and a half minutes of the Trinity. The Holy Trinity is easily Christianity's most difficult belief, and many followers freely admit that they don't understand it. To help grasp this idea, some have sought the aid of illustrations from our natural world. The egg is one, yet contains a shell, egg yolk, and egg white. An apple is one, yet contains skin, flesh, and seeds. The problem with these illustrations is that if applied to God, it suggests that there would be parts to God and that each person in the Trinity wasn't fully God. Another common example uses water, ice, and vapor, since they are three forms of H2O. 
Yet this too falls short since a molecule of H2O can exist as only one of these forms at any given time. Ultimately, every illustration breaks down at some point because the Trinity is simply unlike anything humans know. That the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are each God, yet God is one seems to defy logic. One plus one plus one can't equal one, can it? So some have tried multiplication, stating one times one times one equals one. But once we plug in the real data, this equation suggests that the three divine persons equal one divine person, which contradicts the belief. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are said to share one nature, but the Father is not the same person as the Son, who is not the same person as the Holy Spirit, who is not the same person as the Father. They are three distinct persons in one substance, essence, or nature. You might actually be surprised to find that the word Trinity isn't even found in the Bible. It was Tertullian, a 3rd century theologian, who is first credited with using the word Trinity, which literally means three in one. But centuries before, early Christians would have reflected on passages like Paul the Apostle's blessing, which says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, while at the same time being aware of Old Testament readings like I am the Lord and there is no other, besides me there is no God. They had arrived at this Trinitarian view of God as the only way to make sense of one God in the context of what is written in the Old and New Testament. The doctrine of the Trinity is the most difficult idea in Christianity, and yet one of the most fundamental. It instructs Christians on who God is, how He is to be worshipped, and how God interacts with humanity. Okay, now I thought that video really captured everything I learned in God is One and Triune class in seminary. And so if you want to watch that again later, that's great. Um, but you know, what, what I did learn in seminary that I thought was the best example that this video didn't show was this. Think of the Trinity like this. You have God the Father standing there saying, let there be light. Then it's like the sun going over and turning on the light switch. So the Father is the source. Let, me, let there be light, the source of his will. Let there be light. Then the Son is the way. So he's like the guy who goes over and turns on the light switch. And the Holy Spirit is the power, like the electricity, that makes the light come on. So that's why we say the Father is the source, the Son is the way, and the Holy Spirit is the power. Now, to give credit to Fulton Sheen, I just don't want to say what he got wrong. Let's talk about all he got right. Now, again, I'm not judging him. This is just from my professor in seminary. All right, uh, my priest. Now, listen to what Fulton Sheen says. It's amazing. He says, we love that which we think about. So, for instance, we can love the truth. When we think about the truth, we then love it. We don't have to always love things that are outside of ourselves. Yes, I love my mom and my dad. They're outside of myself. But I can also love the truth in my mind when I think about it. All right, that's the amazing part of our will. Will, it means I can love something outside of myself or something actually as a part of me. 
Now listen to what Fulton Sheen said. He said, in our mind, we think and then we love. He said, this is important. Okay. To think is the intellect. Steer with me. This is going to be the only deep part, real deep part of theology. To think is the intellect. Then I choose to love it. That's the will. I make an act of the will to choose to love it. That's why Thomas Aquinas says the intellect precedes the will, meaning it comes before the will. So you can't love what you don't know. You can only love what you truly know. That's why you're with us today. That's why God is putting the grace on your heart to be watching this video is because he wants you to know so that you can love him better. The intellect to know precedes the will to love. All right? So once you think about it, then you can know it, then you can love it. So in regards to God, where does this all start? Our next slide. With God the Father. It starts with the Father. God the Father thinks too. Well, Father, that's making, making him, him like a human. No, we humans are made like God. We're in the image and likeness of God. So God thinks. And God thinks like a thought or a word like we do. He literally thinks a thought or a word like we do. Now, that thought or word of God, the Father, is distinct from him, but not separate from him. It's in him. Just like me thinking about Michigan football, which I hope they finally do better, or I'm hungry and what I might eat later today, or how grateful I am that all of you are part of this catechism class and part of our Marian family. Those are three separate, excuse me, three distinct thoughts in my head, but they're not separate from me. You're all, they're all part of me, all right? So the thought or word in God is distinct from him, but not separate from him. Just like I said, my thoughts are not separate from my mind, although they are distinct in my mind, like Michigan football being very bad this year, me being very hungry, and me being very grateful thinking of you watching. I have many thoughts, sometimes good, sometimes bad, but God has only one thought. This is why it always confused me when I was in high school and they taught God is simple. Man is complex. I thought, no, 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 no. You got that backwards. Man is simple. God is complex. Uh-uh. God is simple. He only has one thought. We are a complex mess. Complex mess. Thinking about all this other stuff that is clouding our minds. God has one thought. Only one. And God's one thought is one word. We have many words, sometimes bad words going through our heads. God has one thought. That one word contains all knowledge possible. That one thought has all things known and that can be known. God has it all. The Father doesn't need any word but that one word. It isn't separate from him. It is distinct. And what is that one word? Look at our next slide. The word became flesh. 
That one word, that word became flesh. So the thought of God the Father is the second person, the Son. Why do we say he's the Son? Why do we say that? Why do we say he's the Son? Because he's generated by the Father. Now that doesn't mean created. The Son is not created. He's existed for all eternity. It's the same in your head. When you generate a thought or a word, if I generate the thought of truth or the word of hooray, I'm happy you're all with me, I didn't generate that, excuse me, create that. The truth has existed well before I thought about it. I generated it in my mind, but I didn't create it. All right, like the truth. The sun, in the same way, is not created. Just like you don't create the thought of truth. It already existed, but you generated it in your mind. Yes, God the Father generates the eternal word. It exists, and it always had existed. That's why when you watch EWTN, you're watching the eternal word television network, which, by the way, please stay with us. In March, I'll be doing a new EWTN series on divine mercy, so please stay tuned for that. So the principle of generation, the generator, is God the Father. And the term of generation, the generated, is the Son. So technically, all comes from the Father, although it's not created. God the Father is the thinker. God the Son is the thought. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. And we're going to talk about begotten in a minute. So the Son of God not only is the Son of God now, but he's the Son of Man being born of the woman now. We don't just think, we also love. Love is a relationship. This is why it can exist in God without being a separate person. Well, Father, I can only love another person. No, I told you, you could love the truth. So love is not something just in me and something just in you. Love is the bond uniting us. I love you as our, our Marian helpers. All of you who are part of our Marian family, I pray for every day. You who come here and, 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 and join us and, and engage with us and, and share our faith with each other, we're part of a family. All of you watching this, God has put that on your heart to be part of this family. And, and I love you for that. And, and, and that love that is between us is a bond uniting us. But we must have two persons to love in that way. Okay? So, which one is God? Is he the only lover of like truth? Or can he also love another? Like I'm loving you. And hopefully you're loving me. <laughs> we must have two persons to love and be loved by them in the second sense. So the Trinity is both. It is a community of persons as well as a spiritual being because in that community of persons, it can love one another perfectly. And let's look at that. That love that binds the Father and the Son together, our next slide, is the Holy Spirit. 
You're saying, well, wait a minute, Father, that's a cross. No, look down in the lower left corner. I know it's small. This is an actual photograph taken at Medjugorje. This is not a, a stock photo. This is an actual photo that was taken at Medjugorje at night of the cross. And look at the lower left, that illuminated dove in the pitch black. That's the Holy Spirit. That love that binds the Father and the Son is called the Holy Spirit. Although love is distinct from thought. I just finished explaining to you, Jesus, the second person, is the thought. But now I'm talking about the love that comes after that thought. Once you know something, you love it. So once you know, which is Jesus in the mind of God, the thought, then God the Father loves. And that love is the Holy Spirit. So all the love is distinct from thought. It proceeds, this love, from both the thinker and the thought. So God the Father is the thinker. God the Son is the thought. What happens when I, as a thinker, generate a thought of you, I love you? So that love proceeds from the thinker and the thought. Once the thinker thinks, he loves. So I, as the thinker, thinking of you, I then love you. It's the same with God. Why we say the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son is because the Father is the thinker, the Son is the thought, and from that comes the Holy Spirit love. Doesn't mean he's created. It all happens simultaneously. Remember, the intellect precedes the will, so you end up choosing to love what you know. Now, the end result of this, let's go to our next slide, is perfect love. Look at that. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Trinity, and shared between them is perfect love. This is it. Now, if you could pick one word that best describes God, what would it be? The Bible tells us God is love. So I can now prove to you that Christianity has to be the one true faith. I'm going to prove to you right now that God has to be a trinity. How? All right. We just said God is love. Almost everybody agrees to that, even other religions. Even Islam and Judaism believe God is love. But I can show you God has to be a trinity right now. The Bible tells us God is love. Now, my question is, if I was the only person who ever existed, only one person, none of you ever existed, only me, I'm the only person, can there be love? The answer is no. No. If I was the only person who ever lived, there could not be love. Again, in order to have love, you need a community of persons. Not just the love in my mind of the truth, but the love between you and me. This is manifested love. The greatest kind. Loving your neighbor. It's great that I love truth, but it's even greater that I love you. That's why the love in the perfect mind of the Father actually extended out to the persons of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Again, 
To have love, we need a community of persons. The Bible says God is love. That's 1 John 4, 16. So God must be a family of persons. To have love, you need a lover, the beloved, and the love between them. All right? It is fitting that a God who loves has to be a trinity. Why? Ask St. Augustine. St. Augustine said to have love, you need a lover, you need the beloved, and the love between them. He said if God were not a trinity, he could not have loved prior to creating the other beings on whom to to bestow his love, us. So this leads me to the proof that God is a trinity in my mind and in the mind of my seminary professors Because what is the Holy Spirit? Look at your next slide. The Holy Spirit is simply the love between the Father and the Son. All right, look at this slide. You have the Father, the beloved. Excuse me. (laughs) The Father, the lover. The Son, the beloved. And the love between them is so great that comes from it another person, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is simply the love between the Father and the Son. And you know the beautiful thing about that? Look at our next slide. This is why the family is a mirror of the Trinity. Look at this. There is the husband, the lover, like God the Father. You have the wife, like the beloved. And the love between them is so great that from it proceeds a third person, the child. This is why marriage cannot be between two men. By nature, it doesn't work. Or between two women. It doesn't work by nature. Nature is involved in the complementarity and equality, but difference between the husband, the lover, the wife, the beloved, and the love between them is so great that from it comes a third person, the child. It's the same in God. We're a mirror of God. You have God the Father, the lover, God the Son, the beloved, and from that is that love is so great proceeds a third person, the Holy Spirit. This is incredible. This is powerful stuff. And so look at this. What makes us distinct from Judaism and Islam and all other religions is that God is Trinity. How do we know this? How do we know this God? By the fact that he is Abba, Father. And in that, we have a spitting image of him in the Son. And that Son was revealed to us by the power of the Holy Spirit this trinity of persons. To see Jesus is to see God the Father, what God is like. He is the face of the Father. If you could somehow encapsulate, and I'm sorry I get so excited about this stuff, this is the whole basis of our faith. If we don't get this, we don't get the rest of our faith, but that's unfair for me to say because nobody gets the trinity. Notice in my title slide I said, understanding the trinity, question mark because we can never fully grasp it. But what we can do is try by analogy to somewhat understand. Now, Jesus 
If you could somehow encapsulate the mercy of God the Father, he is spirit, he's not physical, but if you could somehow capture that mercy of God the Father, wrap it up, encapsulate it, and show me what it looks like, you'd have your next picture. This is the mercy of God the Father. This is why the encyclical Misericordia Voltus by the Holy Father is the face of the Father's mercy. You want to wrap up the mercy of God the Father and show it? There it is. The Son. The job of the Son is to reveal the Father. Jesus makes it possible for us to know God the Father personally. God the Father has revealed us to himself to us through the Son. Whereas Allah and the Muslim God is impersonal, would never condescend to become one of us, to reveal himself to us. He's so transcendent that we're not even worthy to be looked at by him, let alone become one of us. That's what makes us different. So the bottom line, everybody, is we know God is Trinity, but how do we know him? The three persons. Okay, how do we know God the Father? God the Father was revealed to us through God the Son in divine mercy. We just saw it. The Son, the living word, the eternal word. Now, how was the Son revealed to us? It's clear in scripture. Jesus said the Son can only be known through the power of the Spirit, so the Son was not fully revealed to us until after the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Only then did the apostles fully understand who Jesus was. Jesus even said, if I don't go to the Father and send the paraclete, you're going to be lost. And next week I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit and all about that. Please join us. So, how do we know the Holy Spirit? I always like to say, start with his spouse. You ever want to get to know somebody? Ask their spouse. Who's the spouse of the Holy Spirit? Mary. So now we all came from God the Father. You heard me talk before. If we want to get back to God the Father from which we came, go the same way. Get to know Mary. She'll lead you to the power of the Holy Spirit, her spouse. That Holy Spirit reveals God the Son to us, and God the Son is the doorway to the Father, eternal life in heaven. This is incredible stuff. This is biblical. Now, speaking of the Bible, notice that the Bible confirms the Trinity. Plural nouns, like in Genesis 1:26, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. This is the first book. This is why I can never understand why the Jewish faith who accepts Genesis, that's their book, part of the Torah, how they can explain our, that plural. So God created man in his own image, male and female, so that the two could become one. Very similar to the Trinity. Remember, at the ascension, human nature is now entering into the divine life of the Trinity. This is what it tells us in the New Testament. And the word Trinity Although it's not in the Bible, it's certainly, like purgatory is not in the Bible, it's certainly explained in the Bible. Matthew 3.16 says, The Spirit of God descended like a dove, and the voice said, This is my Son. So you have the Son, God the Father speaking, and the Spirit of God the dove. What about Matthew 28.19? 
Go, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But the whole time, Mark 12, 29 is telling us, the Lord our God is one. This is the gift of the Trinity. All right. So the three persons are one God, yet they are distinct. For the Father has no origin. He came from no one. But the Son is begotten. What is begotten made? He came from the Father alone. This is why we say in the creed about Jesus Christ, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Begotten means he came from the Father. Consubstantial means he is the same substance of the Father. He is one. Then it goes on to say the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. What does that mean? That he comes from the two of them. He's not begotten because that's not only one single source. He proceeds from the two. Because remember, God the Father is the thinker. God the Son is the thought. And when you think of something, you choose to love it, it proceeds forth. And so the Holy Spirit comes or proceeds from both the Father and the Son. Remember in the creed, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. This is why in the creed we earlier said, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Because God is begotten, God the Son comes from the Father and the Holy Spirit comes from the Father and the Son. Now, in the East, when I say East, I mean the Orthodox Church. You've heard of like the Russian Orthodox or the Greek Orthodox. Let's look at our next slide. In the Orthodox Church, they believe that the Father alone exist, not created, but exists, and from him proceeds the Holy Spirit and the Son separately. That's your left-hand side. So you have God the Father, and from him comes the Holy Spirit and the Son separately. We, as Catholics, believe differently. We believe, as I said, look at the screen on your right-hand side, that the Holy Spirit comes from both the Father and the Son. And it makes sense because the Father, the thinker, thinks. And from that comes love. You have to know what you know before you love. All right, now, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. I'm sorry, yes. And in, in, in the Father and the Son proceeds, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Now, in the West... We say the Holy Spirit proceeds from both of them, and that's where we get the word filioque, means from the Son. In the East, they just say from the Father. We in the West added from and the Son. Filioque means and the Son. So the Spirit is referred to as not only, why do we say this? Why do we in the West believe this? Okay, because Galatians 4, 6 in one place says the spirit is the spirit of the son. But in another place, it says, Matthew 10, 20, says the spirit is the spirit of the father. So that's why the Catholic church believes that the spirit comes from both. And it makes perfect sense. While distinct in their relations from one another, they are all one. 
Remember the example that we gave. Now, another one might be like the sun. You have the light, the heat, and the core all at the same time. But again, we don't want to show parts like the egg that was shown as being incorrect. But they are a composite unity, like two persons becoming one flesh in marriage, a composite unity. So the father thinks of himself, that's the son. And when the father loves himself, that's the Holy Spirit. Wow. This is why I have always said a good way to think of the Trinity. Now, this is just my own creation, but I'm going to show you a slide in a second that kind of verifies it. I always say, if you want to think of the Trinity to me, again, I created this just kind of my own thought, and I, I verified it with many priests and theologians. I, I, I think it's correct, and I'm going to share it with you. <clears throat> I think of the Trinity, think of yourself. You are yourself, all right? When you think, you speak. So you are like God the Father. You think. And then when you speak, what comes out? The word, the thought. It actually comes out of your mouth. Sometimes not in a good way, like me. But you speak a word or a thought, but never without a breath. That breath is the Holy Spirit. So you're like God the Father when you think. When you say a thought or a word, it's like the sun. And the, none of it is powered without the breath. And that's why my next slide, I found this online. It was kind of funny. It says, you need the trilogy. The body, that's like the Father. The breath, the Holy Spirit. And the voice, the word, that's the sun. Interesting stuff. All right, so let's summarize this here. Now we call God the first person, the second person, and the third person of the Trinity. Why in that order? All right. God the Father is called the first person, not because he's greater or older than the other two, or that he was not created where the others were. No. We call him that because he is unbegotten. He came from nobody. Now the second person of the Trinity is called the Son, because he is begotten. If you're a father watching this, your son is begotten of you. He came from you. So in the second person of the Trinity, he is called the son because he's the only begotten of the father. He proceeds only from the father and is called the word or the wisdom of the father. Now the third person of the Trinity is called the Holy Spirit because from all eternity, he was breathed forth, breath, as it were, by both the Father and the Son. The Father thinking it, the word that comes out of the mouth is the Son, and the breath that powers it, that is the connection. Proceeding from the Father and the Son, he is called the love between the Father and the Son. All right, now why do we call him Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? All right, remember, let's talk first the Father. He is God, yes, that's what he is. But who he is is Father, why? Because what is his essence, in, 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 obviously what he is is God, but who he is, the person, is Father. Now, what does he do? Yes, he's creator, all right? Creation is what he does, but creation is not eternal. His action in creating is not eternal. 
but his father, his loving us, always fathering us, is eternal. He's eternally fathering. So we call him father. The son, he's the same substance of the father, consubstantial. So what he is is also God in his nature. God, that's what he is. But who he is, he is the son. He is begotten. He is eternal. But in a moment of time, he assumed a human nature. So in what he does, Redeemer, that too is what he does. And he is a Redeemer. And he is, if he is omniscient, we always say, why would he grow in wisdom then? Because he learned in a human way. So in that sense, he's distinct, unlike the Father or the Holy Spirit. Now, what about the Holy Spirit? He too is co-eternal. Same nature, so he in what he is is also God. But again, in who he is, is the Holy Spirit. So the who is Father, who is the Son, who is the Holy Spirit. The Son was generated by the intellect of God the Father. That's the wisdom, the word. But the Holy Spirit proceeds by the way of the will. That's love. That's who he is. He is love. He is the mutual love between the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is that bond between the Father and the Son. They're indivisible unity. But what he does is sanctify us, makes us holy. So this sheds light on who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Love God not only for what he does. What does God do? He's a creator, he's a redeemer, he's a sanctifier. But don't get that in the words of baptism. You need to say the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But what he does as God is creator, redeemer, and sanctifier. But because of who he is, it goes even deeper. It's kind of like a parent of yours. Love your parents not only for what they did for you. They created you. They hopefully redeemed you, meaning they kept you on the right path and they sanctified you, kept you holy, not the way God did. But love them not only for what they did, but for who they are your father, your mother. To better see what God does, we need to see it in light of who he is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Look at the sacraments. This is a way to do that. Baptism is what God does. He adopts us. But in who he is, he adopts us as father. If we're cut off by mortal sin, Go to the sacrament of confession. What does God do there? He absolves us. What God does is redeems us. He absolves us. Why? Because he brings us back to who he is, family. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The whole key to this is our next slide, the Mass. Right here from the shrine, when we have people, God bless, keep praying, that we can get back to that. But the mass is where this all happens in what God does in relation to who he is. What happens at the mass? The Holy Spirit transforms the bread and the wine 
into the Son so that the Son can be offered to the Father. So it is through the Eucharist what that we have the bread of eternal life so that we can share it with the who, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the Mass. You know, I want to do one little quick sidebar here because I'm running out of time, but you know, in Holy Communion, we often think of just Jesus, and, and that is true. Holy Communion is body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. Sacramentally, it is just Jesus in body and blood because the Father and the Son did not become incarnate. But what about the rest of the Trinity? In Holy Communion, we all know about Jesus. But what about the rest of the Trinity? In the Mass, all persons of the Trinity are present in the Eucharist. Wait a minute, Father, the Eucharist is only the Son. No. In the Mass, all persons of the Trinity are present in the Eucharist in a concomitant way. What does that mean? Well, let's take a look at our next slide. Many answers are given to us by our good old St. Faustina. St. Faustina is the way that we have many answers. She said in her diary, number 451, once after Holy Communion, I heard these words, you are our dwelling place. St. Faustina said, at that moment, I felt my soul in the presence of the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, Father, how do you explain this? The Eucharist is just Jesus, but you're telling me it's the whole Trinity. Aha! Each time you receive Holy Communion, you experience here on earth the same divine activity that we will one day experience in heaven. Union with the Trinity. All right. How? It's the divine activity of loving eternally that takes place within the Trinity, not just Jesus. Remember, if you have only one person, you can't have full love. So it does involve the whole Trinity. Yes, it is true, Christ, only Christ is present sacramentally, body and blood, because there's no body or blood of the Holy Spirit or the, or the uh, Father. And it is under the appearance of bread and wine, Christ sacramentally, but the Father and the Son are really and truly present with Christ because of the perfect unity of the Trinity. I'm not making this up. The saints tell us this. The Father and the Holy Spirit, remember in the creed, are consubstantial, meaning of the same substance. So, sorry for the big words, but by circumincession, each of the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are eternally present in each other while remaining distinct. Kind of like the thoughts of Michigan football, food, and my love for you all in my head are distinct, but they're part of me. Through concomitance, whenever we receive Christ sacramentally under the accidents of bread and wine, the Father and the Holy Spirit are present as well with Christ. Not sacramentally, because they weren't incarnate, as I said, but nonetheless in a true and substantial way. 
Whoever is united to one of the three persons of the Trinity is united to the whole Trinity, for they are indivisible. Faustina said, whoever is united to one of the three persons is thereby united to the whole blessed Trinity, for this oneness is indivisible. Number 472 of her diary. Listen to St. Therese. At her first Holy Communion, she realized... Not only was the Holy Trinity about to dwell in her, I just explained that, but since the angels and the saints in heaven are perfectly incorporated into Christ, all of heaven would now come to dwell in her soul as well. Holy mackerel. Sorry, I don't want to say holy mackerel, just amazing. That's incredible. Can you imagine what we have been given in Holy Eucharist, in Holy Communion, all of heaven? Not just Jesus dwells in us. He does only sacramentally, meaning only body and blood is Jesus. We don't have the body and blood of the saints or the angels or the Father or the Holy Spirit. But they too dwell in us. She said, all of heaven entered my soul when I received Jesus that's St. Therese, mind-boggling. So we are united with the Trinity. Now, in order to get that grace, though, what do you got to do? You got to be in a state of grace. What does that mean? Being in the state of grace means no mortal sin. Having the Trinity fully dwelling in your heart and living in the state of grace and having God in our hearts will also mean that everything you do, your works, your deeds, your prayers, will also have supernatural divine power. If you're wondering why your prayers do not seem to have power or the ministry or your works don't seem to have power, are you in a state of grace? That's the fuel. That's why the saints were so effective at evangelizing. And their works of mercy and their apostolates were so powerful because they were in a state of grace. All right, that's why our prayer needs to include the whole Trinity. It's very tempting to pray just to Jesus. That's great. It's a start. But the three persons of the Trinity are a package deal. All right, in order to love one, you have to love them all. It's, it's kind of like um, back in North Carolina. I, I was dating a, a, a very beautiful, nice young lady, and she said, if you're going to love me, you have to love my children. We're a package deal. <laughs> She was married prior. And, um, and so I was like, wow, you know, that makes sense. It's part of her. So we must spend time contemplating the mystery of the Trinity. We must do that in our prayer life. The Trinity guides our prayers. Jesus taught us to pray our Father. So he brings the Father in. We sign ourselves with the cross in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit when we begin prayer. We baptize in the name of of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We bless, and when I bless you at the end of Mass, it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is what makes us different. You know, Buddhism and other Eastern religions, they believe in, in their fundamental truth of reality that there are no boundaries. Everything collapses together into nothingness. Well, that's not what we believe. We believe as Catholics and Christians that the fundamental truth of reality is communion, family, many different persons, but all related 
in union with the body of Christ, related to one another in an infinite given and receiving of love and of oneself. There must be unity, but there must be difference. This is why a husband and wife are together equal in union, but they're different. The husband is the giver, the wife is the receiver, even in the physical marital act. God set it up this way. You, if you don't have that, you, 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 you lose the whole essence of love. Jesus reveals to us the three persons in this family as we just talked about. All right, so I want to do just a couple last things. I would be remiss if I didn't talk about John 17. Let's go to our next slide. This is the longest prayer in the Bible, John 17. This is the greatest prayer recorded in the Bible. I guess you could say the Mass, of course, what, what our Lord did at the Last Supper, but in terms of our kind of prayer, this is it. What's going on? It's the glorification of the Father was always the main point of the life of the Son. It was completely self-giving. By going to the cross, Jesus showed that there was nothing that the love of God would not do for us, that would not suffer for us. And there was no limit to that love. This is what Jesus is getting ready to do, to go to the cross. The ultimate gift is yourself. Like, you know, when you have war, one of the people most remembered in honor are those who gave the ultimate sacrifice, their life in defense of their nation. Same with the saints, Maximilian Kolbe. The ultimate form of life, love was giving his life. So Jesus prayed to God before giving the ultimate sacrifice for us to glorify the Father, but he was glorifying himself too. He prayed that the cross would not be the end, but he would be resurrected to be joined with the Father. It was proof Proof that we men, mankind, could do the worst possible things, and yet Jesus' love would still triumph. God's love will triumph. This is why we should have hope no matter what mess this world is in right now. And it was as if God the Father pointed to the cross and said, This is what men think of my son. This is what they think of my son, pointing to the cross. They want to kill him. They despise him. But then it's like the father pointing to the resurrection and saying, this is what I think of my son. Glorified. Gloried and glorified in the resurrection. Obliterated the shame of the cross. This is how we should think of it too. You know, Father Mike Gailey, let's look at our next slide. He put together a book that you can get uh, called 33 Days to Greater Glory. You can see it on your screen there. And I want to borrow a few things that he said last Divine Mercy Sunday when I was on the show with him that I thought really apply here. Father Mike Gately in his book, and he said, the Son is all about the Father. You want to understand the Trinity, he said? The son is all about the father. He's always thinking about the father. The relationship, though, he said, the one word that really caught him 
was that the relationship was all about begetting, begotten son. And Father Mike said that, that, what is begetting? It's all about begetting, meaning that the son comes from the father, but he's equal to the father. So the father begets the son without holding anything back. The son was equal to the father. That is humility. You know, it's kind of like a great artist saying, well, okay, you know, I'll teach you most of my trade, but I'm not going to give you my ultimate three secrets. That's for me. That's not what the father did. The father held nothing back. And so he held nothing back. The son was completely equal. The begotten son. That's humility. So the son knows everything he has comes from the father. The father shared everything. I, and when Jesus said only the father knows that, I don't know what he was talking about in his humanity. Like the day and the hour when God will come again. So the son knows everything he has is from the father. The son says, I do what I see the father do. This is John. The son sees the father and then gives himself in imitation of the father when he went to the cross. Basically, he's doing the same thing in imitation. The son gives everything without holding anything back on the cross till every last ounce drop of blood was given for you and me, just like the Father did for him. I thought, wow, that's powerful how Father Mike did that. Jesus knows that the Father, he knows the Father, he's revealing the Father. He wants his goodness to be known to everybody, and that's why the Son revealed the Father. Man, amazing. When Jesus says, I do not pray for the world, what did he mean? That always confused me. When I got to my God one and triune class and scripture class, I asked this question. Why would Jesus specifically say, I'm not praying for the world? It's not of unconcern. It's not that he's not worried about us or I'm sure he's concerned for us. It was because his focus at that moment was on his disciples. He was telling the Father, please take care of the disciples. He was praying for them as the instrument that he was creating through which he would reach the world, and that was the church. At that powerful prayer, that is what Jesus is doing. He's praying for the church. The world does not know me, but my sheep do. And you all are the sheep. You're here in the church. What makes us distinct from all these other religions I keep talking about is the knowledge of God as Father. To see Jesus is to see what God is like, the face of God, as I said. So Jesus makes it possible for each of us to know him personally. As I mentioned, the other religions, it's an impersonal God, would never condescend to become one of us, so he's not known. So all religions are not the same. Our world today wants you to treat every single religion the same. I'm sorry, it's not. We have been given the truth and the fullness of the truth in our church and the knowledge of God revealed by the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit in his church. Let's go to our next slide. St. Faustina, she had a lot to say about the Trinity in her diary. Let me just read you a couple things. 
Once after Holy Communion, let's go back to 451, I heard these words, you are our dwelling place. I said that earlier, but I want to add to this. At that moment, I felt in my soul the presence of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I felt that I was a temple of God. I felt that I was a child of the Father. That's our whole faith. Through baptism, we become adopted children of God. She said, I can't explain all this, but the Spirit understands this well. It's kind of funny because there she's telling us we're not going to understand this. So then, right from the start, Jesus is telling St. Faustina that no one can ever completely understand this mystery of the Trinity, being God in three persons, one God. But if we contemplate it, if we think of his goodness, his attributes, especially his love and his mercy, we can somehow begin to grasp even a little bit of it. Now, I want to finish with something that's really powerful to me. You know, you always hear people say, Father, what's my mission in life? What's my purpose in life? I am now going to give it to you. You can go online and find all these self-help yo-yos they're going to try to tell you that it's about keeping this kind of journal and, and getting a new program organizer for your software and, and all this and that and making your goals and objectives regarding your career and your education. Okay, I'm not condemning that. That's good stuff. But that's not the full answer. And that's certainly not the primary answer. You want to know what your mission is? Here it is. Our worship takes part in the eternal worship of God in heaven through the sacraments. So let's look at this slide. What is your mission? That's the slide I have on the screen. What is your mission? And now we're going to answer it. The worship that takes place in heaven, we can share in here on earth in the sacraments and in the eternal life of the Trinity of giving and receiving completely. How? The Mass. Now listen closely because you're going to say, Father, I know you keep talking about the Mass, but listen here how it all comes together. In the concluding doxology, what we call the high point of the Mass, it's all united to the, to the consecration, but the priest elevates what? the bread and the wine that have now become the body blood of Jesus. He elevates it. He's in the person of Christ. And he says, through him and with him and in him, O God Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours, Father, forever and ever. What's going on here? This is where you join your prayers, works, joys, sufferings, with Christ on that pattern. Don't be just sitting at mass, smacking on our gum, looking at our watch. Put everything ounce of your being on that pattern because it's being taken by God the Son, or I should say by God the Holy Spirit, his power. He's taking God the Son and all of redeemed humanity back with him to God the Father from which we came. Now, this is the self-offering to God, the Father of the Son, in union with the Holy Spirit. And you can join it. Put onto that patent all your prayers, joys, sorrows. Now, last paragraph. 
At the end of mass, we are sent out, go and announce the gospel of the Lord. We are sent out into the world. Why? To bring the good news of God into all things and then to bring those things back to God to sanctify ourselves and others by living in the Holy Spirit, by being temples of the Holy Spirit in the world, loving our neighbors, and then bringing them back to God. If not physically, at least spiritually. Every Mass, you should bring with you a whole boatload of people, either next to you physically in the pew, or at least spiritually putting them onto that patent. God has made you fisher of men. Bring those people with you from God the Son back to God the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are drawing here all of creation into the life and love of the Holy Trinity when we do this. That's what it means to be a saint. One who is sanctified and is sanctifying everything they touch. When you pray, Lord, let me be holy, also pray, Lord, let everything I touch and everything I deal with, every person I involved with, to be holy. Then you take that from the previous week after your last Mass, and you come back to Mass, and that gift is given to the Father in the next Mass by the sacrifice of the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what you do. You come back to Mass the next week. This is why we attend Mass every week or even every day. Is we keep doing this. This is our weekly mission. At the end of this Mass, the Lord says, go out now and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. That's the great command. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You go out inflamed by the power of the Holy Spirit, which we're gonna talk about next week, and you go out and you sanctify yourself first through your prayers and sacraments, and then you sanctify everything you touch. And then you bring it back to God on Sunday, and you say, Lord, I brought you this present. Didn't you love it when your child went out into the garden, probably picked your most prized roses, which scared you, but then came to you and says, Mom, I brought you these gifts, and it's all your picked flowers. The Lord doesn't even matter if what kind of gifts you're bringing, that you just bring him gifts at every Mass. That's what the offertory is. It's bringing up the gifts. What gifts are we bringing to God? Bring him the souls of our loved ones physically or spiritually. This is why we attend Mass every week or even every day. This is our mission. This is incredible. And so this was the words a lot in the way. I'm going to show you my final couple slides. Elizabeth of the Trinity. This is a book that you can learn so much about the Trinity. And in this book, I want to finish with our final prayer. Our final prayer to ask God through the power of the Trinity, to help us. So we're wrapping up now, but let us, before we have a few final announcements, give thanks to God in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for being part here today of this mission. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Oh my God, Trinity, whom I adore, help me forget myself entirely 
so to establish myself in you, unmovable and peaceful as if my soul were already in eternity, may nothing be able to trouble my peace or make me leave you. O oh, my unchanging God, but may each minute bring me more deeply into your mystery. Grant my soul peace, make it your heaven, your beloved dwelling and the place of your rest. May I never abandon you there, but may I be there, whole and entire, completely vigilant in my faith, entirely adoring and wholly given over to your creative action. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen, and God bless you all. You hung in there with me. I'm so inspired um, when I read the comments and I hear from all of you by email and comments, like I said in the beginning, that we're really truly growing into a Marian family. And this catechism program is a beautiful way for all of us to be united in the Trinity. And so just a couple last things, if you could help us to increase this message getting out there, you have the power, like the Holy Spirit, to do that. First of all, please hit subscribe. We are just 3,000 people away from being able to get to 100,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel. If you are on YouTube right now, please hit subscribe. If you're on Facebook, like us, like our Divine Mercy official. But on YouTube, we have uh, 3,000 subscribers to go to. We hit 100,000. Now, why do I point that out? It's not about the numbers. It's because YouTube gives your videos more exposure when you hit 100,000 subscribers because it tells them people like this channel. And so when people are told, they, when YouTube is told that this many people like the channel, they start putting it up on people's sides there when they go to other videos. So if somebody types in a video on the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, or the Trinity, now this video may pop up. And we all wanna save more souls. So please hit subscribe if you are on YouTube, like if you're on Facebook. And finally, if you truly wanna share in all the graces of our Marian prayers, masses, penances, please go to micprayers.com. There is no cost. There is no obligation other than just praying for each other and we pray for you. This is a beautiful way. It takes less than 10 seconds. Just sign up and say, I wanna be part of this family. I want you part of our family. And so with that, we finish for today. God bless all of you. And you know, you can get... Um, a lot of our resources on shopmercy.org. But I'm excited about last, next week, I'm sorry, and I want to reemphasize if you missed the beginning of this. Next week, praise be to God, I haven't been home in over a year to see my mom. My mom is sick. Please pray for my mom. She's struggling greatly with horrible diabetes, um, liver enzyme problems, and high blood pressure. And I'm trying to get home. So I'm going to be there next Saturday. However, we're not going to leave you alone. You're our family. Brother Mark and I are going to pre-record a talk on the Holy Spirit. It is one of my favorite talks on the power of the Holy Spirit. And it builds off of what we just talked to here today with the Trinity. Now we're going to show it at 11 o'clock next Saturday, just like we normally would live. But instead, I will be joining you instead of live like I am right now. 
I will be joining you live on the chat. And you'll see it under my name, Chris Alar. And you have questions, I'll be there right with you during the talk. So it'll be actually kind of fun. It may even work out better because this way I can help you better understand what we're talking about. So I'm excited about next week. Spread the word again next Saturday at 11 o'clock for a talk on the Holy Spirit. And so God bless all of you. And we hope that you continue in this catechism program that we've just stumbled upon by the grace of God. I had no intent. This is our 29th episode. Next week will be number 30. And it'll be the first one that we're doing it a little different, but I think I'm excited about it. So we ask you to join us, spread the word, and please subscribe to the YouTube channel so we can get these videos out to more people. God bless you, and may Almighty God give you the grace through the love of the Holy Trinity in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Why be a Marian helper? Because we Marian fathers celebrate a mass for you and all our members each and every day. You can share in all the prayers, good works, and merits of all the Marian priests and brothers around the world. And now you can share the graces just as if you were a Marian priest or brother. Every All Souls Day, we see a mass for all the deceased members of the Association of Marian Helpers. Again, there's no way that after we die, we can help ourselves, but we have to rely on the prayers of those here on earth. And we members of the Marian Fathers will be praying for you as a deceased member of our association. You can share in the graces of the perpetual novena to the divine mercy. Remember Jesus told St. Faustina that the chaplet of divine mercy is one of the most powerful prayers we can make. And every day here at the shrine of divine mercy, we pray it and you can share in those graces. So if you have any questions or you wanna learn more how to be a Marian helper, please visit micprayers.com or call 1-800-462-7426 and let me personally pray for you and your loved ones. Thank you and may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign-up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.